there are men who can take a walking tour of the Brooklyn Bridge without ever asking the guide about Gwen Stacy. There are men who can pass that firehouse on Varick Street in North Moor without quietly singing the Ghostbusters theme. And then there's Doug Bost and Adam Bernstein. Two men who should have better things to do, but aren't doing them right now. These are two grown-ass men. Grown-ass men. With special guest grown-ass men, Jason Kravitz and Vincent Serzolo. This is the episode, my friends, when you will hear the story of how Nicolas Cage lost the most valuable comic book in the world. This is that episode. Are you ready? Now, we've talked to some amazing collectors on the show, collectors of all kinds of stuff, but nobody, nobody tops Vincent Zerzola. And when we met him, we found out he collects a lot more than comics. We were lucky enough to be introduced to Vincent by our good friend, the multi-talented Jason Kravitz. So Jason, your buddy Vincent runs Metropolis Collectibles in New York City, which is the largest dealer of vintage comic books in the world to say nothing of original comic book art and tons more. And you went with us to the collection, but you're not a comic book guy. So <laughs> what did you think of the place? I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's a museum, really. Uh, just artifacts everywhere. And, and of course, his office is just filled with memorabilia and high-end memorabilia. But the comic stuff meant very little to me. I, can appreci- I appreciate it as like, well... That's rare. My feelings about baseball cards are probably similar to yours about comic books. Like, it doesn't, I understand that they're valuable and that they mean something to people, but I don't see it myself. Sure. But even even less so, because, they, of course, they connect. Um, no one's making movies about baseball cards, you know? Right. The, it, it, it's a cultural phenomena that, that, was important to people of a certain age because they grew up with these comics. And then I think for a certain culture, uh, portion of the culture, uh, it doesn't mean anything until these movies started to happen. So it's kind of a cultural phenomenon that that started, you know, way back and has just been going ever since. And, And you are probably much more attuned to what that represents. You could tell that he was, too. Oh, yeah. The things that mattered to him, he was like, oh, this is the first time Wolverine said this line. He's such a fan. Yeah. He's such a fan of of the entire, beyond the genre of comics, but just anything with the kind of pop cultural significance. Any any Star Wars, Pez Dispenser, anything. He was like, he just loves finding that. And, and the enthusiasm of that, it's amazing that that enthusiasm led him to where he is today. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people are very mercenary about this stuff, and he's just really involved with it. It was fun to see you guys kind of with your mouths agape and everything that he pulled out that I don't relate to at all. So he pulls something out of his safe and says, look at this. And you guys are like, holy mo-. And I'm going, really? <laughs> so Adam and Jason and I went to Metropolis on West 37th Street, and it's like going to Dr. Strange's house. There's mind-blowing stuff everywhere. And soon after we arrived, we were summoned into the sanctum sanctorum of Vincent's office, where he proved that he collects a lot of stuff, and he was very ready to tell us all about it.
Yeah, if you guys want to sit, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. It's, uh, I'll stand, that's fine, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Uh, my name is Vincent Zerzolo. I'm the COO of MetropolisComics.com, the world's largest dealership for vintage comic books, and ComicConnect.com, the premier online auction and consignment site for vintage comic books and collectibles. I've loved comic books since before I could even read. As a little boy, I remember sitting on a 1970s powder blue carpet in my bedroom in Rockaway Beach, Queens, looking at comic books like Ghost Rider number 19, Marvel 2-in-1 number 5, uh, Astonishing Tales 31, or really great Bronze Age 70s comic books. And I cut my teeth on comic books from my big brother's collections. Uh, my first X-Men I ever read was X-Men 95 to 100 and Giant Size number 1. Mm. First Hulks I ever read were Hulk 180, 181, and 182. So I really started off with some great material yeah. and fell in love with it and, uh, through elementary school. Um, I loved comic books and then I remember you know, hitting puberty and I started discovering girls and went away from the comic books, then got my heart broken, went back to the comic books. Yeah. I started buying and selling comic books when I was about 15 years old and I've been doing it ever since. I did it through high school. I was the comic book kid. Anybody who knew somebody with a comic book collection would call me up and I'd go over to their home and buy their collection. Uh, through college, I went to St. John's University. I was doing it part-time, uh, doing comic book conventions. And even in my senior year, I did an internship at Gannett Outdoor Advertising. I was working in the marketing department, which I absolutely detested because it was all computer work and I was more interested in the artistic side of it being advertising. And I used to go in and I'd go say hello to all the artists that were working in the advertising department. And sure enough, they were all comic book fans. So I'd bring in new comic books every week and sell them new comic books. And, and probably so, comic book artists, some of them, right? Yeah, maybe. You know, they might have been. Uh, but for the most part, they were they were advertising guys who loved comic books. And so I had a little side hustle where I was selling them comic books. Um, I graduated from St. John's in 1993. And I actually was selling comic books on the streets of Manhattan. I used to set up on Broadway, oh, wow. on Broadway between John and Maiden Lane, and it was right near the financial district. And people would come out of Wall Street, and just people who were walking by. I'd had two card tables set up with eight boxes of books. Me and a buddy of mine from Rockaway Beach, where I grew up, would drive out and get there at 10 o'clock, work till 3, pack it up, go back home. I'd hit the beach and play volleyball the rest of the day. It was great life my early 20s in, in in the comic book business then I started developing my business and working my way up uh, I was working as a middleman where I'd find warehouses of comic books and I would sell them to packagers guys who would sell to Walmart and BJ's cost clubs things like that three comic books for a dollar mm. so if I moved a hundred thousand books and made a thousand bucks profit that was great and I would do that I probably moved about a million books in, in the first year I was out of college. And I started doing more conventions and started traveling around the country. And in 1999, after working on my business for six years or so, a friend of mine named Steve Fischler asked me if I wanted to merge companies with him. And uh, he owned Metropolis Collectibles. And he was the one guy I could never figure out how to beat. So you know the old adage, if you can't beat him, join him. Right. So I did. And we've been partners now for over 23 years. And we developed Metropolis. We also um, developed Comic Connect, our online auction site in 2007. Uh, I co-founded Big Apple Conventions, the longest running comic book convention in New York City. Worked as a consultant for New York Comic Con. Uh, had a radio show called ComicZoneRadio.com from 2003 to 2008. And the most important thing I think for me is, you know, uh, you know, whether it was selling the first million dollar comic book, two million dollar, three million dollar comic book, all those great things. 
for me, what's been really nice is I still am extremely passionate about comic books. I still love comics. I still love comic art. I love all things pop culture. Um, you know, if there's a TV show about sci science fiction comic books, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch it if I can. Uh, movies, same thing. I'm, I'm always out there just like soaking it up. And uh, to the point, uh, during, during the pandemic, I... Uh, thought about the idea of uh, I had been working on a comic book in, in, in the mid 90s an idea and uh, I put it to bed for a long time and during the pandemic you know people are facing their mortality every day and I said to myself you know why don't I dust this thing off and make a comic book so I, I reached out to my partner on the book David Quinn who created Faust and we, we dusted it off and we started working on it and we reimagined the whole character uh, it's called The Addiction, and hopefully we're going hit to be hitting the stands next year with it. And actually, right behind you is some of the original art from it right here. I'll show it to you guys in a little oh, bit. Phenomenal. But, yeah. Congratulations. So it's, thanks. Great. It's been a really exciting journey for me. And uh, every day it feels like Christmas morning. You wake up, you open, come into the office, open up a box. What did I get today? It's, yeah. it's really cool. <laughs> I would also think that you wouldn't really stay in the business if you just looked at a page and saw money, yeah. like you, you see, you see the memories of of the books that you read and the, the meaning behind them. I would think when you're yeah, passionate. So, so look, I'd be a liar if I said that it's not about the money. It's about the money to a degree, but there are a lot of other things I could do to make money in my life. Um, comic books are great, not the easiest thing in the world, but I love them, so I'm passionate about them, so it's fine. Uh, I've often heard see people say, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I, I love what oh. I do, and I work really hard. I don't, I don't, I don't go with that adage. But, yeah. you know, uh, for me, um, what's really special about it is that i constantly learning new things, exposure to new artists. Um, and over the last few years, we've also uh, brought on a, several different new categories. We started buying and selling video games, auctioning video games. Uh, VHS tapes are becoming collectible. Yeah, um, yeah original comic art pulps from the early 1900s to the 1950s these pulp magazines uh, are so cool and i started getting into that and i just dove in head first and started buying up pulps and I, I really think it's an exciting and interesting uh collectible the art is fantastic so many great beginnings of science fiction and horror started in the pulps there's a new book about what was it called pulp power have you seen that book? No, I haven't. It's, I think it's about specifically about the shadow okay. pulps, yeah. but it looks really cool. It's like an oversized coffee table book. I think, I yeah, mean. Sounds great. I'd love to check it out. I pulled out some cool books from our safe to show you guys. Uh, this is the first appearance of Spider-Man in Amazing Fantasy 15. <laughs> Spider-Man's my favorite character. It's uh, probably on my walls. I don't think I have a representation of uh, another character as much as I do as Spider-Man. Um, Amazing, Amazing Fantasy 15, what's really great about this book is so many different uh, things that I love about this. First of all, I think one of the greatest costumes ever designed. And that, yeah, you know, that goes to Steve Ditko. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of controversy about Stan Lee and, and his contributions, but I think Stanley's writing on these books are, are some of the, the greatest writing in the history of comic books and really helped to create a foundation for what's come out of it in terms of TV series, animated series, movies, you name it. 
Um, also, the story behind this book is great, that it was the last issue yes. of the series. Yes. So it was originally called Amazing Adult Fantasy, issues 1 through 14. They were trying to market towards adults, and they realized it really wasn't working. So they pulled uh, adult off of it and just called Amazing Fantasy 15. It was the last issue. Let's try out this character. And the cover is by none other than Jack Kirby, and uh, it's a fantastic cover. It's been imitated and duplicated many, many times. Uh, and the value of this book has jumped up exponentially over the last couple of years during COVID. There's been a, an incredible uh, growth in terms of demand for vintage comic books. And so this comic book is a 3.5 in a scale of 1 to 10 that actually my partner Stephen Fisher created that scale that's used throughout the world of comic oh, book collecting. Okay. And this one's $65,000. Uh, next book this up. this book that you're pulling out right now yeah. is Amazing Spider-Man number one. I have to say, this book <laughs> is this book is how I first heard about Metropolis Collectibles oh. because for uh, my birthday, I think it was my it's 40th my, birthday, uh, my wife generously bought Spider-Man number one for me. Oh wow! Not in a, yes, not separate. graded, not, not yeah, uh, raw copy, yeah, raw copy, oh, yeah. and she got it here. Oh wow! And uh, oh, it's so the cool. pride of my collection. I pulled out another book that uh, Spider-Man related comic book. First appearance of the Punisher in Amazing Spider-Man 129. One of the greatest anti-heroes. Nice yeah, that. this is a 9.6. Yeah. So 14 grand? Yep, this one's 14. And uh, where was this comic book that it's a 9.6? It's from 1974. Yeah, well, you know, it was in someone's closet. A lot of books from the 70s were saved and stored. There's a lot of high grade copies of Bronze Age comic books uh -huh. because by that time, collectordom had really developed and started. And, and um, wow. people did know that there was value in these things and they collected them and held on to them. Wow. Amazing. Uh, Here's an Archie Comics oh, number one. Oh now, God. this is really Archie cool. One. A lot of people don't realize Archie Comics is this is from 1942. This is, you know, during World War II. Holy and this is the, the first issue. Now, he first appears in Pep 22 and Jackpot 4, but uh, this is his first self titled issue. And it's just a great, you got all the main characters Jughead, Archie, Betty and Veronica. Um, just a fun, fun book. Oh, wow. I've never yeah. seen that. I've never seen that. Yeah, Archie number one. Uh, oh, there you go. Here we go. Here is one of the, the greats. <laughs> oh, my God. Batman Comics number one. It's ridiculous. It's gorgeous. And this comic book is priced at 225000 I got one more to oh, show right, you guys. This is really cool. This is X-Men Comics, X-Men number one. Um, show you something really cool. These are gorgeous. Up, I picked up this last week oh. at a... Uh, um, convention I was at C2E2 in Chicago and this is just a, a sketch by Steve Ditko oh, wow. from the 1960s of uh, J. Jonah Jameson oh. and is that so cool or what you know wow. uh, to get so a, a friend a dealer of mine actually the first guy I ever met in the comic book business I'm still friends with him to this day and he just pulled it out of his suitcase and it's like he's like yeah look at this and I'm like you know what I want that Oh, this is beautiful. This is yours. So this is uh, artwork by an, an Italian artist named Claudia Balboni. And the comic book is called The Addiction. And this is our main hero, oh, Nikki, wow. Nikki Tino. My, my partner is David Quinn uh, from uh, Faust. And I'll show you one of the, my favorite. This is one of my favorite double page splashes. And the artist, the you can artist see a very, very wow. Italian style in this art. Uh, European style, and yeah. I just think she's great. Uh, Claudia's nice just hitting it out of the ballpark. Wow. And this guy, oddly enough, looks a little bit like Peter Parker. He looks like <laughs> Peter Parker at, 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 at next to the Washington Square Arch, yeah, too. Yeah, and um, so 
Who's it, putting this out? We don't know yet. Wow. We're, we're working on all that. Beautiful. The concept is uh, Nikki Tino was a uh, doctor fighting drug addiction. And she was getting really good at it. And so good that the mafia puts a hit out on her. They want to make an example out of her. And they kidnap her and shoot her up with a cocktail of drugs that kills her. But also after the drugs mix with her blood, bring her back to life. And her power from her rebirth is that from her slightest touch, she can inject any type of drug into a person's body. So she will touch you and inject you if she wants with morphine. Yep. Morphine, cocaine, uh, you name it. Anything she knows the chemical composition to. Yeah, so one of my favorite parts of this is that she doesn't have endless power. She has to recharge, and one way she can recharge is by eating food. And she basically has a table filled with food and drugs, and she sees a bag of Coke, and she just plows her face into the Coke and starts eating it. Powers up. So that's her spinach. Yeah, exactly. That's her spinach. Coke is her spinach. And uh, it's just been, it's been really fun to develop great. and create So this. this is issue one? That is issue one. It, it's awesome just to be in your office. What other kind of stuff do you have that's like one of a kind? Oh, yeah, sure. Let me, let me walk you around a little bit in this office. So uh, what, what's really interesting is I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. As a kid, I, I studied Jeet Kune Do. And uh, about a dozen years or so ago, I had the opportunity, a guy called up from the Bronx with a comic book collection and mentioned he had Bruce Lee memorabilia, ended up buying that. That is his only movie contract, Bruce Lee's only movie contract. From 1971, signed by him and Raymond Chow from Golden Harvest. And it's just super, super cool, man. Awesome. I dig uh, that. To the right of it is a Polaroid photograph by none other than Andy Warhol. And I huh. really fell in love with Andy Warhol when I learned more about him. First visit to, um, went to the Pittsburgh Comic Con and on my way, uh, it was the year that the uh, Andy Warhol Museum opened up and went over there and checked it out. And uh, this came up for auction. It's a photo of Dennis Hopper in a cowboy hat. And so I had to have it. Um, other things that are really meaningful, um, right behind you over there on the wall, those are Harry Houdini's handcuffs. Oh. Kind of cool right over there. Harry Houdini's <laughs> handcuffs? Yeah. My, my partner is a huge uh, Harry Houdini fan. And when we first merged companies, I was checking, getting the lay of the land. We had these very high... Uh, ceilings and our inventory was um, set up on shelves with ladders so I went up on one of the ladders one day and I found this bag filled with ball and chains and straight jackets and I went over to my partner I said listen I don't whatever you and your girlfriend are into that's right. fine but I don't know if you should have this stuff in the office He's like, no 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 that's Harry Houdini stuff I bought the, the half the estate of Harry Houdini they sold out his maid sold out the uh, estate in uh, in the Manha- upper Manhattan, Harlem, I think it was, where he had his wow. Uh, mansion. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. That's amazing. And, um, you know, some of the artwork that means a lot to me, For this is not anywhere close to the most valuable piece of art I have, but it's a, uh, issue number 14 of the, uh, the Question by Denny O'Neill, one of my favorite comic book writers, Dennis Cowan, an unbelievable uh, comic book artist, also the co-founder of uh, Milestone Comics, and Bill Sienkiewicz, one of the most brilliant inkers and artists and creators oh, in comic sure. books. And that's the comic book I remember, 1986, I was, uh, sorry, 1987, I was 16 in uh, Forbidden Planet in Manhattan. And I bought that, that got me back into comic books when I had taken a little bit of a break. So super exciting for me. Uh, Below it, you have artwork from Wolverine miniseries number one. Mm -hmm. I believe this is the first time Wolverine ever said, I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do best isn't very nice. And then there's just tons of other fun and weird things I bought over the years, a picture of me and Stan Lee. I remember 
telling him at the show like how much I had sold comic books, for, certain comic books for. Yeah. And he goes, who to believe somebody bought, paid that much for that piece of shit? You know, joking around. <laughs> but, you know, it's like Stanley just cracked me up. I follow people on Instagram who just sell, you know, small level stuff. And I'm like, jungle action with Black Panther? You're selling that for $400 or something? And I'm like, you got to be kidding. No one wanted them. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just amazing. It is. It looks like in your lobby, you not only have books that are slabbed, but you've got books that are slabbed and framed. Yeah, so we have these um, shadow boxes. And we got the inspiration from Nick Cage, actually. He was one of our biggest customers. Um, Nick Cage would have uh, shadow boxes that were hooked up to the security system of his home. Mm. Unfortunately, he had a Christmas party and turned all the security off, unlocked everything and was showing off his books to his friends and somebody from the catering team, we believe, stole his Action Comics number one and a couple other comic books. Oh, 13 oh. years later, we actually helped recover it. My partner told Nick, he said, sooner or later, somebody's gonna try to sell us, and when they do it, we'll get it back for you. We recovered it for him and it ended up selling that comic book for $2.2 million. Oh. Um, so that was a really uh, incredible experience. <clears throat> but those, those uh, shadow boxes were inspired by what Nick was doing. I thought it was a really beautiful way to show off a comic book and also to keep it secure and protected. One thing we had to see before we left Metropolis Collectibles was the back room where they keep thousands and thousands of comics, cardboard boxes, floor to ceiling. Just about any comic or magazine that you can think to ask for, this is the place where they keep it. Oh, so this is the back room. Oh my yeah, goodness. This is, this is boxes and boxes. But beautifully kept. Yeah, yeah, well. It's a lot of cardboard. There's a lot of stuff going How on here. How much of this do you bring to a con? No, um, 20 boxes. 20 yeah, boxes. is not a lot. So, yeah, this is the belly of the beast. Wow. <laughs> this is Chris. Chris heads up our team here for Hey, how you doing? How are you? Shipping. Okay, so, uh, so I want Amazing Spider-Man 75. Like, how many copies uh, do you think you have Spider-Man 75 on hand? It's going to be right around there, and it's probably 15. Probably got 15. No, less than yeah. 15, yeah. There's just, there's nowhere else in the world you can go and pull out, let's say, like a box like this, and just have just runs of Journey into Mystery. Wow. One after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Thank you so much yeah, for, thank yeah, you. for oh, showing us around. What a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're going to edit this. We're going to score yeah. it. We're gonna um, get your theme going. Yeah, I just want final approval on it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> final Thanks once again to Vincent Zerzolo and Jason Kravitz. I'm sure we'll be buying lots more stuff at Metropolis. Grown ass man.